thanks for that story, Jake. It came up in my own reading this, this week, so it was good to see it acted out in person. Uh, good morning. My name is Gavin Work. I'm a member here, as many as, of you know. I'm filling in this week for Jeremy Short, our pastor, who's away on a well-deserved vacation uh, still. I hope you've been enjoying the season of summer. Uh, a few weeks ago, I snapped this picture that's on the screen, I think, in, in front of you. Uh, I snapped this as I was pulling away from my launching point for a three-day solo trip into the wilderness of uh, Naganish Lake Provincial Park. And uh, it was early morning, the sun was shining, uh, there was no one else around, and I was thinking, now this, this is the good life. No noise, no people, solitude. Beautiful. And then I started digging around a few, uh, a few days later in Psalm 128, the, the psalm that we're looking at today, which is all about the good life. And I learned uh, that while my wilderness trip may have been a small taste of the good life, uh, there's a lot more to the good life than that. And some of you may already be thinking, well, thank God, because I can't think of anything good about spending three days alone in the mosquito-infested wilderness. We've been studying the Psalms of Ascent this summer, uh, Psalms that these Israelites would have sung on their way to, up to Jerusalem for one of their pilgrimage feasts. And Psalm 128 is, is one of these Psalms, there's 15 of them. Um, and an interesting side note, uh, these Psalms were actually grouped together in, in sets of three. So in the first set, in the first one in the, in the trio, uh, they would speak of trouble and call out to God for help. And then in the second psalm of the, the trio, they would confirm their trust in the Lord. And in the third one, they would triumph on the Lord's victory over their problems. So, for example, in Psalm 126, two before this one, that Jake preached on two weeks ago, we hear people crying out, Restore our fortunes, O Lord. We're, plant we're, we're planting our crops in tears, hoping for a good harvest. And then in Psalm 127, just before this one, which uh, Rob Campbell preached on last week, uh, it is useless for us to work so hard for, from early in the morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. This is an expression of trust. And then third in the series, the one that we're looking at today, how joyful for those who fear the Lord. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. This is an expression of triumph. So trouble... Uh, trust, and then triumph. Psalm 128 is a psalm of triumph. And it's also a wisdom psalm because it draws from some of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. And it attempts to teach us uh, something about life. And so this morning I'd invite you to read this together with me. Um, and then we'll take a closer look at what it teaches us about the heart of the good life, uh, what, the actual, what the good life actually looks like from day to day, and then maybe uh, think a little bit about, uh, well, why, isn't, why am I not experiencing the good life? <clears throat> so I'm reading from the New uh, Living Translation, which is on the screen now in front of me or behind me. And you may have it on your app or in your Bible. And I'd invite you to, uh, for us to read this together this morning. Could we do that? How joyful are those who fear the Lord, all who follow his ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor, how joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine, flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. This is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. May the Lord continually bless you from Zion. 
May you see Jerusalem prosper as long as you live. May you live to enjoy your grandchildren. May Israel have peace. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit would breathe life into these words so that they are words of life for us. Help us to pay attention uh, to what we might not otherwise notice. Lord, speak to us. Amen. So what is the heart of the good life? What is it that brings us joy and deep satisfaction? Uh, Aristotle was wrestling with, with this question thousands of years ago, and he suggested that it's about achieving the highest good for human beings. And at the time, he recognized that for most people, the highest good was about acquisition of wealth, uh, the pursuit of honor, or the, sa uh, the satisfying of our thirst for pleasure. And things haven't changed all that much over these thousands of years. In more recent times, uh, Pablo Escobar, head of the Colombian drug cartel, was considered one of the richest men in the world. You know, maybe compared to Elon Musk, maybe maybe wasn't that rich. Uh, but nonetheless, um, he had mansions, yachts, private jets, lavish resorts. Was, was he living the good life? Julie Payette, a recent governor general, had 28 honorary doctor, de doctor degrees, a person of honor, always pushing herself to be the best that she could be. And from what we know, rarely satisfied with the performance of those who, who, who were around her. Uh, was she living the good life? Hugh Hefner, founder of the Playboy Empire, lived to satisfy his appetite for physical pleasure. He lived long and he accumulated a great deal of wealth. Was he living the good life? Aristotle himself determined that contemplation and learning were the things that lie at the heart of the good life. Surely then someone like the late Stephen Hawking, the um, theoretical physicist, cosmologist, and author, uh, surely that would be a prime example of someone who was living the good life. But the psalmist has a different idea about what lies at the heart of the good life. And we read this in, in verse 1. How joyful are those who fear the Lord, all who follow his ways. And you may think it's strange that joy and fear occur uh, side by side in the same sentence about what's at the heart of the good life. How is it that a joyful person is one who lives in fear of the Lord? But this fear is not the kind of fear that has you walking on eggshells, terrified that you'll fall out of God's favor and, and experience God's wrath. I, I frequently encounter people who, who want to be close to God, but they feel that God is not pleased with them because they're not trying hard enough. But the good news of the gospel is that God so loved the world. God loves us as we are. The picture of God that Jesus gives us is one of a good father who wants, who waits longingly with open arms for his wayward son to return. And I'd ask you this morning, what's your picture of God? So much of the way we carry ourselves rests on the pictures of God that we hold. To feel the Lord in the best sense is to acknowledge that God exists that God's understanding exceeds my own understanding, and that my life actually depends on the life of God. My life depends on the will of God. 
So at the heart of the gospel, uh, uh, the heart of the good life is this understanding, first of all, that my life is dependent on God and not on what I accumulate or achieve or experience for myself. And I acknowledge this dependence not simply by paying lip service to the existence of God, but by actually following his ways, paying attention to what God says. Jesus was, was very critical of the God experts of his day, the, the people who could tell you all about God, the people who made up their own rules about what a godly life looked like, but really didn't care about the same things that God cares about. And he spoke these words to them in Matthew chapter 15. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So what does God care about? Well, God cares about our freedom. Our freedom to do what we were designed to do. We were designed to walk in fellowship with God because we're created as an overflow of the love of God. And we read in John chapter 8, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you truly are my disciples if you remain <clears throat> faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, <clears throat> and the truth will set you free. Free from the things that stand in the way of living the good life. <clears throat> I think one of the best ways to understand what God truly cares about is to follow the life of Jesus in the Gospels. Jesus himself said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. Thank you. And one of the characteristics of a Jesus follower is that they are learning the teachings of Jesus. And if you're not in the habit of, if you're not in the habit of reading the Bible, let me invite you to get to know Jesus by reading the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you never get through the whole Bible, you'll have everything you need to understand what is at the heart of the good life by reading the Gospels. So what does the good life actually look like on a day-to-day -day basis? Modern advertising paints a picture of exotic vacations, freedom from work, lounging on the beach, endless rounds of golf, a life centered around the individual and their amusements. A life most of us can only, only dream about. Psalm 128 points a different picture of what the day-to-day -day good life looks like. Now, this is not an exhaustive description. It doesn't describe everything. But there are three or four things that we want to pay attention to today. First of all, work is actually a blessing. Our work is a blessing. Verse 2 says, You will enjoy the fruit of your labor, how joyful and prosperous you will be. And this seems to be a reversal of the curse that we read about in Genesis, where God said to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat. <clears throat> now for the one who follows the ways of the Lord, work <clears throat> is actually a good thing, a gift from God, if you will. One of the ways that we experience the good life, we work and we enjoy the benefits that our work provides. <clears throat> now I wonder how often we continue to view our work as a curse. Maybe we live for the weekend. We dread going back to work on Monday. But what would be different if we thought about our work as a blessing, 
as a sign of the good life, an opportunity to, to contribute to God's economy. Spouse and children are also gifts that characterize the good life. Verse 3 and 4 speak about this, but they need to be read with some filters. <clears throat> your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine, flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. This is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. Now, in the time and the place when, when this was written, uh, uh, family values were quite a bit different than they are for us today. A wife's place was in the home, and she was subservient to her husband. And her value was associated with her ability to bear children. And children, like olive trees, were an economic benefit because they, work, they could work for you, and they could take care of you when you're old. We understand the value of women differently today, although we're still struggling, I think, to treat women equitably as, as they deserve. Most of you probably don't have dollar signs in your eyes when you look at your children. And if you do, they're probably negative dollar signs, right? <laughs> How are we going to put these kids through school? Nevertheless, this, this principle still holds true. Your spouse is part of the good life package part of God's blessing for you. And if you don't have a spouse, don't get ahead of me here, because not having a spouse can also be included in the good life. But I think all of us who are married need to be reminded from time to time of the fact that our spouse is actually part of the good life, part of the blessing from the Lord. Like when she tells you she got a parking ticket, again. Or when he books a business trip on your birthday, or when one of you comes down with a critical illness, restricting what you can do together and placing a burden of care on the other. Your spouse is a blessing. It's part of the good life. And how would it change your relationship with your spouse if you received them every day as a blessing from God? I know that relationships sometimes can become abusive, and I would not advocate that you stand in harm's way. And if you accept that your spouse is a gift from God, then it makes no sense to do your, house, your spouse harm. It always makes sense to treat your spouse with respect and with gratitude. <clears throat> and it's not only our spouses that are characteristic of the good life. Children are also part of the good life package. Like spouses, uh, children are also a blessing from the Lord. And like spouses, children can test our patience sometimes which God uses constructively to form us if we allow God to. In Jesus' time, his disciples viewed children as, as a bit of a nuisance. When parents brought their children to Jesus to bless them, the disciples scolded them for bothering Jesus. But Jesus said, don't stop them, from the, don't stop them for the kingdom of, of heaven belongs to people who are like these children. He treated children like valuable people. And we treat our children like valuable people when we, when we give them the time and the attention that they deserve. When we listen carefully to the stories that they tell us. When we remember that they have feelings that can be hurt by our harsh words. When we respect their boundaries. when we pick them up without blame after they have fallen yet again. All of these practices help to form the good life in us. 
On the best days, our children fill our lives with joy and laughter and affection. And I hope that this is the norm for you. And I know also that children can bring a great deal of heartache to their parents through no fault of the parenting. And if that's been your experience, may God give you the grace to offer even your pain to God for whatever God may want to do with that. The third thing I'd have us notice this morning is that the good life is not all about me. So far we've said that the good life is a life in which God gifts us with what seem like very ordinary things. Meaningful work, a, sp a spouse to share life with, children to treasure. And we should notice that the good life is not just consumed with self-interest. There are two lines in the last two verses of Psalm 128 that point to this. May you see Jerusalem prosper as long as you live, and may Israel have peace. So God is concerned not only with, the well, with my own well-being, but also with the well-being of the community in which I live, my city and my country. And these things are certainly related to each other. A community cannot prosper if the mentality of everybody in the, in the community is every man or woman for themselves. The good life beckons us. It calls us to, to coach a soccer team, to volunteer at camp, uh, to put together a welcome bucket, a basket for indwell residents, maybe to teach English to immigrants who are arriving from other countries, and to serve on a ministry team of the church, maybe even to run for public office. The good life is necessarily a life that contributes to the well-being of others outside of myself and outside of my family. So, what does that look like for you? Given what I've said so far about the characteristics of the good life, uh, some, of you, some of you may be asking, what am I doing wrong? I can't find work, or I hate my job, my spouse left me, or I, I don't have a spouse. Maybe I'm estranged from my own children. And I wouldn't want to presume to tell you what, if anything, you're doing wrong. What I would do is invite you to wait before the Lord and ask the Lord to reveal his heart to you. I think sometimes preachers are good at giving um, answers to life's problems. And uh, for that reason, I'm really not a very good preacher. Uh, I'm more of a, <clears throat> the spiritual directors, on the other hand, which is where I lean, uh, ask all kinds of questions. And this morning, I would ask some questions. And maybe these questions uh, would help to sort through some of that confusion. And the first question is simply this, is my first priority to follow the ways of the Lord? Uh, Jesus spoke to a group of people who were anxious about the necessities of life. They were worried that they might not be able to experience a good life. And he said to them, don't worry about all these things, saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your Heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and he will give you everything you need. That's Matthew 6. The psalmist believes that the things that characterize the good life are actually gifts. Gifts that are given to us from God. 
So here's the second question. Am I trying to achieve in my own strength what God wants to give me as a gift? Maybe my failure to achieve some of the things that I've been running after will help me see that they can only come as a gift. Third question, is God holding back a gift that I'm not yet prepared to handle? And fourthly, is it possible that God is doing something with all the mess in my life <clears throat> that is beyond what I can see or, or appreciate right now? <clears throat> my friend and classmate, Julie Abel, uh, wrote a book about following God in times when you can't see or feel him. Uh, her and her husband adopted a little boy from Uganda, and this brought a great deal of hardship, actually, to their family. She shares a beautiful story of walking along the beach one day, crying out to God about the mess of her life all the while navigating the mess of this smelly seaweed that had literally littered the beach. And finally she came to a point on the beach where someone had gathered up some of this messy seaweed and used it to form a message to somebody that was special to them. And you can put this one on the screen. The message said this, I love you. And she looked at this and it made her smile. She thought to herself, I'm looking at a message of love written with the very stinky, frustrating stuff that I want to distance myself from. What if God is using the very trials in our, in our way to tell us that he loves us, to show us that he can transform this mess into something good? I think finally it, it helps us to remember that Psalm 128 describes an ideal. It doesn't exist yet fully in, in, in full form. Not everyone is involved in meaningful work. And many people who do work, and some of you would know this, still struggle to pay, the, pay for the necessities in life. Not everyone is happily married. And every marriage, every family have their own struggles. But the psalmist takes the long view. It's a psalm of triumph. And the psalmist is confident that this is the way things will be for those who follow the ways of the Lord. Now, the people of King David's day didn't have a concept of eternity. A sign of the Lord's favor was living into old age, and that's why it says in verse 6, may you live to enjoy your grandchildren. This description of the good life served to, to create a, a longing for a way of life that actually could and would come into, into reality. And Jesus also had a, view, uh, had a long view, but his long view actually stretched into eternity. So Jesus says to Martha after the death of her brother Lazarus, Any, anyone who believes in me will live after, even after dying. This is John chapter 11. In light of eternity, then, the troubles that we experience here and now are short-lived. The, the Apostle Paul affirms this when he says in 2 Corinthians 4, <clears throat> For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that we cannot, be, that we cannot see. For the things that we see now will soon be gone. The things, that we cannot, the, the things that we cannot see will last forever. 
And this Psalm 128 is pointing us toward those things that we may not be able to see yet. But this is a psalm of triumph because this is the way that it's going to be. Now, I've skipped over a lot of things kind of lightly and quickly this morning, and I've done that intentionally because I want to create a little bit of space here um, before we close for whatever questions or pushback or comments uh, the few words that I have spoken may have evoked. This is something that we practice as kind of a, a regular routine at uh, Royal City Mission where I've served for the last four years. So there's a microphone on either side. If you can't get to a microphone, put up your hand and I'll bring the, uh, the, the cordless to you. But I'm just wondering, uh, as you hear uh, this message from Psalm 128 today, uh, what questions, what response it evokes from you? Maybe there's some pushback. Yeah. No pushback. Okay. end of um, like in verse 6 and it talks specifically about Jerusalem mm. and Israel and I know um, when you spoke to that you really spoke about what we're doing in our communities to bring God's peace but and I agree with that I mean that's what we do but I'm still always um, as we watch what's going on in Jerusalem and Israel and it takes a scholar and a theologian uh, to understand all of that God's work over his favored people, right? But I don't know if you have a comment about Israel and Jerusalem relative to that reading. In that, in that time, and also in today, and what it means to us. Right. Yeah, uh, I, I won't try to ex speak extensively to that, and I think Jeremy has referenced this in, in previous weeks, too. Uh, God's not done with, with Jerusalem. It continues to play a role in, in, in the coming of his kingdom. Uh, and, and so uh, this prayer for peace for Jerusalem is still something that's relevant and something that we should continue to pray for uh, because it plays a, an important role in the coming of the kingdom for sure. I know this is a little unusual for us. Uh, Thank you for sharing with us this morning. I guess um, my heart kind of speaks to or feels this, this sense of sometimes when we look at verse 2 and we see that the fruit of our labor and blessings and prosperity will be yours, it often appears or sometimes appears that someone else's prosperity is much greater than yeah. my own be it wealth, be it health. Yeah, thanks. That's when we, uh, I think there's a con constant temptation, no matter where we are on the scale of gifts, talents, uh, wealth, 
to compare ourselves to what somebody else has. Um, but the life that I have is, is the good life, and I can miss it when I'm always wishing I had what somebody else has. Gavin, um, I think what spoke to me the most was your picture at the start. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, I, love the, I love the wilderness too, and I think God speaks to us in, in, in the, those still quiet times, not in the flurry and the, you know, the activity of the, of the world and the noise of the world. And I really noticed that lately, is the noise of the world and how it's so distracting. But the peace and the, you know, in the wilderness and nature, um, that is where you do experience the good life, I believe, as well. So thanks for that little photo. Yeah. Start. Reminds me, i got to get out again. So. And I, I like those words at the end of your statement as well. We experience God in those quiet places. And uh, God is here in the city as, as well. Anyone else? Julie. There was something that you just said, Gavin, when you said about <clears throat> just learning to recognize the good life and where we are. And like, this is an interesting passage for someone like me who's never been married, um, never had the opportunity to have my own biological child. I did adopt a child who's pretty great. <laughs> but um, I think I spent probably my 20s and into my mid-30s, you know, waiting and like mm. actually not living the good life because I was waiting for what I assumed would happen mm. that was happening to everybody around me. So everybody around me was getting married, everybody around me was having children, so I was waiting and I was not living that good life mm. that God had for me that didn't look like this, but was still good and rich and beautiful. And it wasn't until I sort of laid down and said, okay, what is it that you have for me, Lord, that I really feel like I started living. And, and that was the good life. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Julie. I think, I think that um, it's a good reminder, like when you were talking about how the good life involves work and your family and the people around you, but also it's not just about us, it's mm. also about helping those around us, so volunteering, your time, your money, your effort, whatever you can give, I think that's also just as important as yourself and valuing everything else. And also, sometimes it's really hard to show up to work. I'm sure everyone knows that. Yeah. Sometimes it's really hard to show up to work with a good attitude yeah. because you're like, oh my gosh, I got to do this again. <laughs> but I think that, like, I think that when we do decide to show up, like, maybe not every day is a good day. And there's always going to be those bad days at work, at home, no matter where you are. But it's deciding to stick with it and trusting that things will get better and that you have to live saying things might not be great right now, but they will get better and trust in that. Mm -hmm. Or maybe nice. this is exactly where I need to be. Good word. Thank you very much.
Hello. I don't have your heels on, sorry. Um, what am I doing wrong if I don't feel the good life? I, I thought that was a really poignant um, question because I think when you go through this, there's many times that we would feel many of these things wouldn't be part of our story yeah. right now. And uh, the, one, the third question, is God waiting to give me a gift I'm unprepared for? Mm. I loved that because I thought sometimes we allow our struggles and our things um, to so overwhelm us that we, we are not growing. Instead, we're groaning and fighting and, and frustrated when God wants to use that to just teach us. And I think when I look back on my life, um, God has used very hard things to teach me really important things. And so sometimes when we're going through hard things, we think, oh, gee, this is just like... It's too much, but God actually takes it. And then someday we meet somebody who's had to go through that same thing. Mm. Or we, we, um, we come out of it and we realize, wow, God, you, you used that to, to make me a better person. And I think that's, that, that really struck me when you, when you shared that, that, uh, that when we, we trust God with the bad things and the hard things and the... the things that we think are just so stupid in our life because God is going to form something that's maybe going to be for the community as you, as you shared being able to give out to the community um, if we don't go through that and allow God to use it then then sometimes it's kind of wasted and so don't let the hard things be wasted because I know in my own life the, the very hardest things were the things that make me have a lot more empathy for other people. Thank you, Debbie. I'm pretty sure my daughter summed it up super well. Uh, so thanks, Abby. I just wanted to say I agree wholeheartedly with the dollar signs and negative <laughs> direction that kids are, seems, these days. Um, but in all honesty, I really appreciate your message today because mm -hmm. it gives us an opportunity, I feel, for an invitation to recenter um, and to surrender our own wishes, desires, and wants back to the Lord. Um, because I think our human nature is we want to take it on. We want to do it ourselves. We want to make this work. But the good life for me, it doesn't necessarily have to look like spouse, children, all that stuff, but it needs to look like a heart surrendered to the Lord and walking where the Lord has asked you to go. And to me, that's where I found good life. Thank you, Stephanie. want to say ditto to that. <laughs> Good life is not our things, our circumstances. Mm. <sighs> Sorry, I'm a crier. <laughs> it's relationship with God. That's the good life. Um, he's my best friend. I talk to him about everything, little things. I heard once, shouldn't thank God for a parking space. Are you kidding me? I thank God for parking spaces that turn up when I need them. Mm. I thank God for seeing a flower that reminds me of something. We often say, I don't hear God or, or 
wait, wait, and hear from God. How about talk to God? You're not always going to know whatever, but when you have that relationship and you just share the little things, it's like, thank you for the shade right now while I'm gardening. Um, just small things. He's there. He's with us. That's the good life because that's what gets you through whatever relationship, what you have, what you don't have, what you lose, what, whatever. All that's, it's nothing. It's that relationship that uses all of that to give us the good life because good life is relationship to him. And that's exactly what we're designed for. So well spoken. Thank you. Well, we're using the second half of the psalm this morning as a bit of a, a for some teaching points, but it was really intended uh, for the, the priests to, to speak a blessing over the people as they were coming to those feasts. And I wonder this morning if I could speak a blessing over you as we close this morning. <clears throat> May the Lord continually bless you from his inexhaustible riches with meaningful work, with loving family, with opportunities to share your gifts and talents with your community. May you see your family and your neighborhood prosper, and may God cover you with his peace. And may we go in peace this morning. Amen.